episode of Locked On Canucks. The Locked On hosts make their Pacific Division predictions. And of course, you know I have something to say about it. Three Canucks who have to take major steps this season if Vancouver wants to finally go an extended playoff run. And why are people so divisive and so polarizing about the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. It is Locked on Canucks on a Wednesday, August the 17th. And ladies and gentlemen, it starts right now. Your Locked on Canucks, your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to Locked on Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. I'm, of course, your host, Justin Cooney. You can find me at Twitter at underscore process sports. Our show's Twitter at Locked on Canucks. We're also on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Also, I want to thank you. For making Locked on Canucks your first listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast services. Guys, kind of slow again in Canucks land. Again, no JT Miller trade. Talk about a potential Bo Horvat deal. Things are progressing in the right direction. According to Rick Dollywall, um, we knew this deal was going to get done. I think it gets done before uh, training camp. He is the captain, the leader of the Canucks. There's not really much to say. We know Bo Horvat is going to be in Vancouver for the foreseeable future. So that is that. I think, you know, I've made my prediction on what the Horvat contract will look like. I suspect it will probably be a max seven to eight year deal, maybe uh, you know, six, seven year deal. It's going to be a longer term deal than a potential JT Miller deal because they're going to, I know knowing Horvat, he will take a little bit less, take the term to be more secure, kind of like the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal. He, we saw him sign last year. So Horvat's deal is going to get done. We don't know what the hell is going to happen with JT Miller. We don't know what's going to happen come training camp, but what we do know is the locked-on NHL hosts gave their Pacific Division power rankings post-draft and free agency. And I have to give my opinion on it to my fellow compadres out there. Look, they had the Oilers number one, which, you know, I think we all can agree that the Oilers are the best team in the Pacific Division. Then they have the Calgary Flames. Now, the Flames did lose Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goudreau. They lost Matthew Kachuk, but they acquired Jonathan Huberdo. That's Jonathan Huberdo for all you people that didn't understand my French out there. Jonathan Huberdo signed a new brand spanking new deal for 10.5 million bucks a year. They got Mackenzie Weger. So it looks like they will be fine. But will they really be fine, though? We don't know how Jonathan Huberdo or Huberdo, is going to fit into the Calgary Flames structure under Dale Sutter. Jacob Markstrom is another year older, and we know he does have potential to get injured. 
And what's the chemistry going to be like in that locker room dynamic going to be after such a up and down roller coaster of an off season? Now, I'm not saying the Flames aren't a playoff team because right now, as currently constituted, they still have a very good defense core. They still have a very good roster. And quite frankly, they have a very good goalie who is just a Vesna candidate. But I don't know if they're the second best team, though. Could it be the LA Kings who came third in the power rankings who, you know, kind of surprised everybody? Um, you know, with their shocking season where they, you know, made the playoffs and you kind of saw a rebirth of the LA Kings under Rob Blake, where that kind of rebuild or that quick rebuild they went under uh, is underway. Of course, they acquired Kevin Fiala. Um, the Kings have some nice pieces, but again, I'm speaking in hypotheticals here. I'm not disagreing with them. I'm just providing, I'm not disagreeing with my, comp- my, comp- my co-workers or my, my peers. I'm just providing the second option, the second alternative. What happens if the LA Kings, a younger team, cannot play well under expectations? We've seen that before in the NHL. We've seen teams enter the league, enter the new season after a fall in a good year that failed to meet expectations. Now, you can say that both about Calgary and LA. Edmonton, I think Edmonton, when you have two of the three best players in the league or four best players in the league, uh, you know you're going to be in good hands. And, of course, they kept the Vander Kane. But what's to say that L.A. can't replicate the success they had last year because now they're not going to be sneaking up on anybody, right? Who's saying that? Who's saying L.A. can't falter this season? It can definitely happen. Um, Then they have the Vancouver Canucks at fourth, which I think we can all agree the Vancouver Canucks offseason has been interesting. Their big ticket free agent was, of course, Ilya Mikheyev, uh, a speed demon, a guy who's going to help on the penalty kill and can also chip in goals. You know, he did score 21 goals last year. Of course, they added Curtis Lazar for the fourth line and a bottom six forward. Surprisingly good signing for the bottom six. They signed Andre Kuzmenko, the prized Russian free agent. But the defense is still an issue. Now, when I look at the Canucks, how they stack up against the teams above them in the Pacific Division. Um, the Canucks have a better goalie than Edmonton. I think they have a better goalie than LA. You know, between Calgary, it's kind of a toss-up. The forward groups, the Canucks' depth, I believe, is just as good, if not better, than Edmonton. Yes, Edmonton has the high-end skill, but Vancouver's depth is there. I think it can match well with the Flames, match well with the Kings. The only thing is this. The defense. The defense is so putrid, it drops them down. Had the Canucks somehow had more money or whatever to have them build more of a competent defense core, they would be the best team in the Pacific Division. Um, below them is Vegas. And people were kind of shocked. I know in our locked on chat we had uh, with just some of the hosts, they were kind of shocked that Vegas um, was below Vancouver. Well, that's not actually that laughable because. Vegas has been giving away assets left and right because they have no money. Their depth has been depleted. Robin Leonard is injured. Yes, they have Jack Eichel back, but they are in a very interesting situation where Vegas does not make the playoffs this year under Bill Foley, who is a very, very aggressive owner. What happens? They don't have a good reputation amongst a lot of players right now because they're just discarding them whenever they feel like it. So I am intrigued to see what happens with Vegas, but at this particular juncture, I think the Canucks are better because they have more depth up front um, and they have a better goalie situation. So the Canucks are into a better team than the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's why I was saying before, and I've said before in this show, 
Uh, but it's not a bad idea if the Canucks have to keep JT Miller because there's an opening in the Pacific Division to go for it. Now, does it help with long-term sustainability for the franchise? I don't know, but it does help for these young players, these younger stars that want to make the playoffs that are not in a situation that want to rebuild. They can go for something and try to aspire to push for the playoffs. So what I'm saying is this. The Canucks are kind of stuck in a situation where do they go for the playoffs to kind of help grow their young core and play that risk game? Or do they kind of punt on the season and trade JT Miller to just withhold assets? To me, I was on the trade JT Miller, but now as the season's coming kind of close, I'm thinking just keep him. Keep him and push for the playoffs. And hell, if you if you strike something this season and whatever it is, and Miller likes what he sees, he might want to stay and he might be able to find that common ground. So I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Uh, I'll round out the rest of the Pacific Division power rankings. Following the Knights, it was the Ducks, Kraken, and Sharks. I think the Kraken should be above the Ducks. Um, but like I said, it's you know fairly accurate. Uh, I just think that there's a chance the Canucks can move up in these power rankings depending on how the rest of the offseason plays and how we see training camp and how Jonathan Huberdeau and you know all these other actors in Calgary fit how the new how the young kings uh, deal with these type of expectations. So that is that. Uh, coming up after this break, we're gonna dive into three players who I believe need to take massive, massive steps if the Canucks want to finally reach the playoffs. But first, we have a special PSA from NH NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. It's okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds? You get pulled over anyway. And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You lose your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever drive sober or get pulled over welcome back to locked on canucks the show that keeps you locked in on all things vancouver canucks so again i went through the pacific division stand the power rank is from our locked on hosts kind of adjusted that and i believe that the Canucks will be a playoff team. But in order for that to happen, there are three players who I believe need to take that next step and need to step up for that for the Canucks to reach their full potential. And those three players are the three young pillars of this organization. Thatcher Demko, Elias Patterson, and Quinn Hughes. Now, when you look at the NHL, when you look at all pro sports, to be a successful team, to be a championship team, you need to have high-end players who are at the top of their respective positions and their certain player groups, right? So 
When I look at the Colorado Avalanche, they have the best defenseman and probably the second best forward in the NHL to go alongside the likes of guys like Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog, and they have great depth. When I look at the Edmonton Oilers, they have two of the three best forwards, in my personal opinion, in the NHL, and the best player in the NHL, Connor McDavid. The Leafs have top forwards in Mitch Marner, although I would beg to disagree, but for the lack of a better one, we'll say he's up there. Austin Matthews just won the Hart Trophy, and they don't have a good goalie or a really good defense core, but they're still an offensively sound team. You look at the likes of you know St. Louis and um, Minnesota, they have a top echelon players. You look at Tampa Bay, they have the best goalie, one of the best defensemen, and a solid group of forwards. So what I'm trying to say is if you want to be a cup contender, you have to have elite playmakers. You have to have superstars. So when I look at the Canucks, they don't have a superstar right now. They have JT Miller, who should have been an all-star, but wasn't an all-star. Um, but they have three young players who have the potential to take that next step in becoming one of, if not the best player in their position group. When I look at Thatcher Demko, he has the skill set and the ability to be, we know he's a number one A goalie with a bullet point, but can he take that next step from being a very good number one goalie to being top five, top seven goalie in the NHL? Can he do that? Can he play a, excess, a, a, a big work? Can he take on a big workload and you know be just that guy, that spine of the back of the team, that no matter what, that money goalie, that no matter the situation when the chips are down, you know you have a guy back there who can step up when it matters the most. Quinn Hughes, we know he's an elite skater, can move the puck, man the power play, but can he take that next step? I'm not. I think with Quinn Hughes, with his stature, he'll never be one of the best defensemen in the NHL all around, but he could definitely be one of the best offensive defensemen in the NHL. Can he take that next step? where he's consistently getting 60-plus points per season, where he can push 70, maybe even 80 points, a la Roman Yossi or Adam Fox. I believe he can, but he has to do it. When I look at Elias Pettersson, he had a great finish to last season. But can Elias Pettersson finally make that leap that we all expect him to make, where he's a bullet, bullet number one bullet center, a superstar, because he has superstar talent. Can he be... That guy, does he have what the kids are saying this, these days? Does he have that dog in him to be the, the number one guy on a team? Like, Give me the puck, get out of my way. I'm going to make a play or I'm going to put the puck in the back of the net. Can he do that? He has the skill, but is the men, the mentality. And that's the biggest thing to me. The mentality of these young Canucks, these three guys who the franchise will revolve around for the next however many seasons. We love Horvat. We love Besser. We want to keep Miller. Why do um, you know we have you know the Mikheyevs, the Kuzmenko's? I think the I think Pod Colson could enter that group, but those three guys, it's going to be their franchise. Can they take that next step, that that leap that Henrik and Daniel Sedin took, that leap that Marcus Naslin took, what Pavel Bure took, what? You need to take that leap where you go from being a very good player to being a great player, to being the guy where teams game plan around you and they still can't stop you. Can Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, and Thatcher Demko make that leap? 
They have the skill for it, but do they have the mentality for it? And that's what I want to see this year. I want to see these guys, when they go through slumps, still being effective. I want to see them become more leaders in the locker room. I want to see them hold, be more accountable. I want to see all of that because that, to me, is a telling point that these guys have it in them to make that next level jump, to become those all-star, superstar players that the Canucks need them to be if they not only want to make the playoffs, but if they eventually want to finally become a Stanley Cup contender once again. Those three players there need to. It is imperative that they take that leap. That is, to me, that is the key for the Canucks this season. If they can take that leap and become even better players, the Canucks are a playoff team. The Canucks could potentially even be the second-place team in the Pacific Division. They could be even be the third-place team in the Pacific Division. Instead of being a wild-card team, they might have a chance to make it out of the first round. Now, I might be getting ahead of my horse, ahead of my skis here, but I can see that happening. Now, you can call me extreme optimist or crazy, but let me ask you a hypothetical question. Elias Pettersson gets 100 points this year. Quinn Hughes, 70 points. Thatcher Demko has a Vesna quality season. If all those three things happen, which are possible, they're not out of the realm of possibility, but they are possible. Are the Canucks not a, not only a playoff team, but a Pacific Division contender? I think they are. So that's what I want to see coming forward next season. And coming up after this final break, why do people get so upset when we talk about the 2011 Canucks? And why are they so divisive? So stick around for that. But first, I want to talk to you guys about the fine folks at betonline.net, which is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sport and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the number one top online resource for all your sporting wagering information from live betting, live in-game betting, excuse me, scores, podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome back to Locked On Canucks, the show that keeps you locked in on all things Vancouver Canucks. So, all of you guys out there know I'm, you know, a bit of the contrarian out there on Twitter. I like to, you know, voice my opinion. And, you know, as Little Wayne once said, I talk a lot of you-know-what, but I practice what I preach. Um, so, you know, the media outlet out there put, what's the best team to never win a championship? So me being me, said the 2011 Canucks. And then I added a little, you know, the refs in league preferred the Bruins in quotations, but I'm over it. Trust me, I'm not over it. And the amount of responses and replies, I actually got a lot of likes on it, but the fact that people were so, this team was disrespectful. Uh, Luong couldn't stop a beach ball. It was mostly Boston fans, I will say that. But um, I will say, it was so funny to, whenever we bring up the 2011 Canucks team, people are so quick to either defend them or lash out at them. Now, I will defend them because I think that's the best Canucks team of all time. But on the opposite, opposite side, people hated that team so much because they were so damn good. That 2011 team was so damn dominant that people just couldn't understand it. But they also had guys they disliked. They did not like Kevin Bieksa. They did not like Ryan Kessler. They did not like Alex Burrows or Max Lapierre. 
for whatever reason, people hated the Sedins too, which I don't understand. The biggest, the most class personified individuals out there. They hated the Roberto Luongo. Uh, we were hated, but we loved it because they were our team. They were our boys and they did us proud. And whatever happens in 20, whatever happened in the past, happened in the past. And however history will remember them, they will, they will remember them. But um, that Canucks team was the best team of all time. They were so polarizing because they had such polarizing characters on that team. And I just love the fact that Boston fans still get all salty, even though they won and they tried to bring up riot jokes. But I digress. I just wanted to give you guys my opinion on that because it was kind of uh, took up my evening, all these Twitter battles I get into. And, you know, I shouldn't, but I do. Um, but I just wanted to say that that 2011 team was polarizing as ever. And they, quite frankly, are the best team ever, but they also have the most hated players in the NHL, which I loved. So that is that. Tomorrow on Locked on Canucks, we will break down some more news in the NHL and what's going on and have some more fun content for all of you Canucks fans. I want to thank you for making Locked on Canucks your first listen of the day. Now, your second listen, Locked on NHL. Locked on experts give you a daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL all year long. Stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Locked on NHL, your daily 30-minute NHL podcast. Guys, take care, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow.